Dancers have a lot to balance. From their pirouettes to their jumps, a dancer's performance is a direct result of hard work and motivation. So where does food fit into this? There's a lot of myths and a ton of antiquated ideals about what a dancer's diet should look like. And I'm here to dispel those. I'm Rachel Fine, registered dietitian nutritionist and founder of To The Point Nutrition. I'm the dance nutritionist and I'm here to tell you that to be a successful dancer, you don't have to diet. Instead, I'll teach you how to use food as your best tool to enhance your performance. A nourishing meal plan not only fuels your dancing, but also enhances your strength, improves your balance, supports your flexibility, and most importantly, reduces your risk to injury. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Conversations with the Pros. Today I'm chatting with dancer Lauren Lovett. Uh, we're talking all about her career shifts from dancer with New York City Ballet to now choreographer and so much more navigating the pandemic. And yeah. Hi, Lauren, thank you for being here and just joining us with these conversations. I'm going to really just dive in at this point and we'll take it from there. Lauren, why don't you tell about your early years dancing, you know, before your, your pre-SAB dance, just to give everyone a little introduction of, of who you are and your background. Cool. So I grew up homeschooled my whole life. Not a lot of people know that about me. Never went to school. I grew up in Southern California and um, I only got into dancing because somebody saw my feet mm-hmm. and I have feet that bend mm-hmm. and in ballet that's a thing that uh, you already have a leg up and yeah. I'd never been good at anything before I'd never had um, like a real passion that I was pursuing I just did uh, I played in the yard I was with my family I was a really um, wholesome natural uh, free-spirited kid and um, someone saw my feet and then said you know I think you should be a ballerina and I told her I couldn't afford it which I couldn't my parents <laughs> couldn't do that at the time and she paid for my lessons and she wow. paid for my lessons for a week to try and then a month and then a year and um we ended up moving shortly after that to North Carolina I got a scholarship there too I begged for one and it's just been this amazing thing in my life that kind of sort of came to me so I'm not a religious person but I do believe that there is something higher out there because the way that my my path has taken me has been so much like a river from one instance to the next and I've always worked really hard but there's just been a guiding light that I was in the right place at the right time um, always and so a lot of it's luck Uh, it's like hard work and luck and I ended up moving away from my family when I was 14 to live in New York and I yeah I joined the School of American Ballet which you said you wanted before that but that's basically a good synopsis I think Yeah, that's fabulous. And Mm -hmm. what I'm kind of curious about, though, in those early years, actually, how was your relationship with food before you started SAB? Uh, I grew up, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and it was really tough. My parents had four kids before my mom was 30, which is, I'm 30 this year. So imagining that is crazy. Um, So we, my dad had a hard time. He was going from job to job. Um, we were that family that had the, the extreme couponers. I don't know if you've seen that on TV. We weren't the family on TV. And, um, so we, my relationship to food, 
um, was always that I could, I could never get enough food. We were hungry a lot. And so um, I guess that was different than some of the other ballerinas around me. Like I had this fear of like not, not knowing where the next meal was going to come from. And um, so that, that was different. I mean, it was definitely like a gorger and like a, you know, never leave anything on the plate kind of uh, relationship to food. And then that changed a little bit in school. Um, I, I started eating unhealthily, I think, because I was free when I was, I moved away from my family when I was 14. And right. a lot of my friends were um, experiencing, and my sister too, in, um, eating disorders and trying to lose weight as young teenagers, which is just not a good time to be thinking about dieting and all of that stuff. And I would feel guilt that my body was shaped different. My body has always been really naturally thin. And so I would just eat the worst foods for my friends in this weird sort of psychological way. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was sort of my, my relationship to food's been a weird one. Well, what's interesting, Lauren, is it sounds like you came from a place, obviously, of food insecurity, right? Yes. This, this is very much something that's a, a major problem in our country in general. Mm -hmm. um, and that idea of food scarcity and not knowing when your next meal is. And what's so interesting, and I'm, I'm not going to dive too much into this, but what's so interesting is that with dieting and what we see with disordered eating behaviors and dieting is, is this um, intentional idea of yeah. food scarcity versus that unintentional, you know what I mean? Where, right. where it's not in your so I, I think that's really interesting. Now, when you did move to New York City, you're 14, you're really young. That must have been really challenging for you to not just live on your own, but to also yeah. fuel your body. Yeah, and it's ballet is, uh, they, at the time, we didn't have a lot of resources about like what is healthy eating. Um, I, I didn't really know what I was doing at all. I there was a time in school when I was told I needed to go on this crazy anti-inflammatory diet because um, I had a I had an ankle issue and I ended up getting an extra bone taken out of my ankle and it was the first time I'd ever done anything like that and this I I, I literally took everything out it was like the most restrictive diet I've ever done um, and I it was funny because I actually ended up gaining a lot of weight on it I remember being confused because I came back from like a three-week vacation with my family and I was on this crazy diet. I've never done anything like that before. I was such a big time like food eater, carbs, all the, all the things. <laughs> then I got this weird sort of psychological thing where I was convinced that my body was different than everybody else's bodies and like I, if I ate junk food, I'd be skinny. <laughs> and I don't know, it, it's been such a, a wild road and none of it was really based around what's really healthy for your body, what's really good. And it wasn't until much later that I started even paying attention. Um, and it didn't, I think maybe this might be different than what, how other people end up want, wanting or caring about nutrition. For me, it was um, the inside. I was getting sick all the time. I was um, getting really bad periods every month. Like I would have just the worst time with that. And I would, um, sometimes I'd faint on my period on stage. Wow. And I was experiencing a lot of mood swings and um, yeah, there were just, I was just starting to have health issues. And I realized um, that the, the thing I could change the most was what I fueled my body with. And that's actually self-love. And I didn't have to eat for everybody else. 
didn't have to I didn't have to be the skinny girl that just like chugs the all the milkshakes <laughs> even though that's fun mm-hmm. I was doing I was feeling this guilt and this mm-hmm. like obligation that because my body looked a certain way I needed to prove to everyone else that I didn't have an eating disorder I needed to prove to everybody else that I could like eat all this stuff because it was cool and made me popular, made people like cheer me on at, at mealtime. And I, none of that was actually for myself. None of it was healthy. Um, mm-hmm. And it was pretty damaging. So I actually went completely plant-based. I went uh, vegan, which is such a, another extreme. But I, at the time, I just wanted to know what was actually, what, what sat in my body well, how I felt instead mm-hmm. of worrying about everyone else. And I knew that I was going to be judged and people were going to think that I had some serious problem. But for the first time in my life, I was choosing me. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a great time in my life. I did that for three years and then realized that I was um, starting to get really extreme in that way of thinking as well. And yeah. if I ate a piece of steak, I wasn't going to die. And like the, the world, the planet wasn't <laughs> you know, explode that much faster. I mean, I really care about the environment and the effects of agriculture and all that stuff. Um, but so I, now I'm a much more balanced, I have much more balanced approach to food. I eat things that make me feel good. And yeah. I care about the planet a lot. And I, I really think that eating mostly plants is, is best for our bodies. But I don't have that feeling of, um, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> My prescribed right. way of living. You bring up a couple of good points. You know, I think the first thing here, obvious need for education and especially like qualified education in dance schools. I would say that's the first thing because so many dancers like yourself were or are 13, 14 going off for the first times and not having those resources that they need. And then the next thing was this idea of it being so trial and error for you and really it being like a process and a journey throughout many years. And uh, that journey in of itself sounded like there were a lot of ups and downs. It's a never ending journey. And I think um, as dancers, it's important to rem- to just keep questioning yourself why you're doing things. And I my most unhealthy habit with food that I've noticed that the ballet world has sort of conditioned me for and what I actually ended up doing a, an article in the New York Times about it earlier this year is that there is still this pressure in ballet that the skinniest girl is the best like you have this edge if you if you look like whatever we call it the line and I would notice that I would just even even some like subconsciously not even always to my awareness I noticed it as I started getting back into dance I would just skip meals Hmm. I'd just kind of eliminate certain meals and I realized that that was something that I really had to to look at square on and not ignore what is this how come I didn't eat lunch today what yeah. what is that about and so just always I think especially as dancers just always questioning yourself it does sound like you know that didn't work right it, it wasn't it wasn't a sustainable habit that led you which kind of like brings me to my next question Lauren and mm-hmm. it's really about like if we really fast forward now to COVID COVID hits in March and At this time, like a lot of dancers are feeling limited in their inability to perform, let's just say. But I have to be honest, you know, having followed your story for so long, it sounded like COVID was more of an opportunity for you, an opportunity for change. Can you talk to us about this? COVID, it was. I I was so burnt out. 
Yeah. I've never been that burnout in my life. I didn't even, I, I honestly don't know how much longer I could have sustained the schedule that I was on um, yeah. had COVID not happened. And so I think I was relying fully on the momentum of the bike, mm. like the, you know, psychological momentum of the bike. I just kept going to the next rehearsal and having the next show and that kept me going. But once everything stopped and shut down, I realized how broken I really was, how much I had to process, how um, tired, how unnourished I was. I wasn't giving myself rest, wasn't giving myself um, a whole lot of kind self-talk. It was really sort of a damaging moment. Like I went through a damaging two months where it was yeah. just, now that I'm only with myself, I'm terrible to myself. I'm being so mean um, and writing and processing grief and I think everybody went through that um I'm definitely not alone or special in that way but for COVID it wasn't it was an opportunity for me to feel feel my body and feel my mind mm -hmm. without the distraction of always being able to work my way through and I I mean I love work I love my job I'm so passionate about dance that's like I'm so lucky in that regard that I get this thing that I that doesn't always feel like a job to do with my life but at the same time it's not until you lose those things that you really understand where you're at as a human being. And for me, my humanness, who I was outside of being a dancer was just like this little baby plant that just hadn't been watered that much. And yeah. so I fixed up a house. I didn't dance for 11 months. And that was hard because I felt a lot of pressure. Dancers feel a lot of pressure that if they take any kind of time off, you're, you're going to lose it. You, you'll never be able to get back. Um, there's just this, this pressure that's like the short window that you've got to accomplish all these things in a short period of time because the career doesn't last very long. And, um, I actually gave myself that time. I, yeah. I ignored, I muted any social media account that made me feel pressure to do something that I knew I couldn't do. I had a, um, very sweet, but not right for me manager at the time that was trying to push me to do these projects. I realized honestly, but this is a terrible way to realize something, but I actually went, like I had a full on mental breakdown trying to do something during COVID that wasn't, it wasn't right. I needed rest. And so I, I put everything away, all of my work away for months. Um, I learned how to do construction projects and um, I don't even know. I wrote a lot um, and then just gave myself time to do nothing. Yeah. Like it's so it's okay to do nothing and yeah. we, don't, we at least I don't know if the younger um, generation feels this way too but I know that for my generation there's such a pressure to be successful and to, mm -hmm. um and I'm sure it is that way now too and now we have social media so it's like look at what everyone else is doing and how successful everybody else is and it's um you're on your own journey we don't know how much time we have on this planet yeah um, and Warren, oh, you bring up so many good points that I just want to break down for like younger dancers here because yeah. this idea of burnout and that, you know, at the start of COVID, it was this opportunity for you to really take step back to realize that's how you were going to move forward in your life. Like whether that was on stage or not on stage, that's what you needed to do. And I think a lot of younger dancers need to hear this because, um, you know, that bike that you were talking about, that bike that just yeah. like, because I'm a millennial also, and I feel yeah. that bike too. It's really important for us, anyone who feels like they are on that bike, whether you're 12 or whether you're whatever, 30, 32, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, to really see if you can try slowing that bike down a bit.
because it could just land you in burnout land. And my next question for you is, it sounds like you kind of answered this already, but like, it sounds like almost like the breakdown could have been the biggest sign that like you needed to hand in a letter of resignation. It was, it was the start. Ah. It was the start of me really questioning what it is that I do and why I do it and why it matters to me, why, why I get out of bed in the morning, um, why I'm on the bike to begin with. Yes. And I, at the time it was, it was a lot of negative things. And I was, I, I was struggling and grappling with my uh, insecurity with the stage. I don't love being on stage. It's always been difficult for me. I have very severe um, stage fright. I have social anxiety. Also somewhat of a sense of relief to hear someone at your level say that and come to terms with that because I'm sure there are a lot of younger dancers out there who feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's definitely something I struggle with. Um, But I did not, it was very important to me. I did not want to make a decision, such a huge life decision um, based off of running away from something or feeling negatively towards something. And so I waited. I didn't wasn't sure if I was going to go back to dance. I couldn't really imagine myself going back to the stage or anything like that, but I wanted to give myself enough time to, to make sure that it wasn't, it wasn't me like making all these decisions out of the negative. And so I took a job in February of the following year, and it was a bunch of rehearsals with one of my favorite choreographers, Kyle Abraham, and we worked in Kotspon, and I was, I was dancing with some of my favorite um, people, like oh, some of the, the, my most dear friends. And it was a very nice environment, very relaxed, um, accepting and warm and like and mentally good for, for dance. And everything came back. And I guess that's what I want to um, encourage other dancers about, too, is that what we do is so mental that you think that, oh, my pirouettes are gone forever. If I don't do if I don't if I miss a couple of classes or if I take a week off, it's not going to be there. It took so much time off. And it might not have looked exactly the same at first, but all of it came back. And I realized the things that I love about moving, the things I love about what I do, the expression. I love being in the room where something new is being made. And that's what I realized. I said, I'm in this career because I want to be, a, I want to encourage the dancers around me. And I want to be in the room where something's happening, brand new. And it's really not, it was none of my reasons for staying with City Ballet were reasons that I was super proud of. It was a lot of fear-based things. Like if I go out on my own, I'm not gonna have my steady job. What if I end up on the streets? <laughs> like I have no education. I'm gonna end up like lost. What if I can't just be an independent artist? And um, I had a lot of, I had a lot of fear and there was a lot of pride. Like I, I didn't wanna lose my title. I love my title, principal ballerina with the New York City Ballet. And it's like, you know what? I'm not that proud of that reason. If I am there because I'm 100% invested and I love the stage and I want to I want to dance that much um, th- that many hours a day perform all the time if I feel like I'm being fed by my teachers which I lost a lot of my teachers they passed away in the, the last year wow so I realized that I think my time had come and it was mm-hmm. just such a peaceful feeling I just I looked at my my pro and con list and the pros, I, I just wasn't that proud of my pros. Yeah. And I wrote my letter of resignation the very next day. And I knew I wasn't running away. I knew it was um, running towards something else for myself. And even though I'm still afraid, some days I get really scared. Uh, what if I made the wrong choice? Um, it's absolutely the right choice because it's a path of growth. And for me, that's 
that is why I get out of bed in the morning. I realized through COVID, um, it's not really about what I do. It's about who I am. And mm-hmm. I could work anywhere. I could wait tables or I could work at the Seven Eleven or whatever. I know who I'm going to be in that space. And I trust my work ethic and I trust my creativity and, and moving forward. And so I, I realized that for me, I don't want to be the greatest dancer that there ever was. Mm. It's not my calling to be the best Aurora you ever saw. It's just not. Um, but I do want to make new work and, um, and I want to support other dancers and, and connect more to the, the part of dancing that I love and believe in the most, which is the healing that comes um, through that expression and that um, presence and flow that exists in class. And I think it's for everyone. I hate that ballet is this, it's become this exclusive for the few and the this like 1% of the population that a certain way. I don't believe in that. I don't subscribe to that. I taught a lot of classes over COVID. And um, to me, I think ballet can be one of the most healing things um, to, com- to come back into yourself. And um, so that's what I'm excited about. I'm going to be moving, um, hopefully, the industry forward and moving ballet forward instead of it being about me and my flawless performance. <laughs> I'm good. I don't think that's really why I do it. And I can relate to that on a personal level. I, I always say that the... I felt my best in dance class when I left my performance career and when I came back to it for how I felt in class. Yeah. I listened to your interview with Megan Fairchild that you did, which I highly recommend everyone listen to. It's such a fabulous interview. And you said something so beautifully that really hit home with me. And it was, I don't really care to be great anymore at what I do. <laughs> As I'm a recovering perfectionist. Yeah. About this, I feel like most dancers are. Um, I find hearing you say this statement to be such a liberating experience for myself. Can you please talk to us a little bit about what you mean by this statement? I I put so much pressure on myself, such a perfectionist, and I realized that not being my personal best every day is okay. It doesn't mean that I don't aim for it because I do. I still aim for it. I still, I think um, having a good, healthy work ethic is really a beautiful thing to have in your life. It gives you drive, it gives you purpose. Mm-hmm. But where I was and how I conducted myself, especially with an art form like ballet or dance of any kind, really any art, it's not about that. I don't think. Um, it's about something else. It's tapping into that side and having something to dance about. And, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I obviously still care. I do a good job at things. So it's not that it's just, I don't have to be the, the very best. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of this also comes to the idea of like, as a perfectionist, our best is usually so unattainable. And it's the idea always. of just coming to terms with like being enough, like the word enough is uh, in my opinion, such a strong word for my fellow perfectionists. It is. And it's not easy. It's like a daily thing that you have to bathe yourself in. And um, it's a hard thing to do when you've got a mirror in front of you every day. And like the, the career is so demanding in so many ways. And that means that you have to take that mental bath and just say, okay, I'm, I'm going into the studio. I've had this amount of time off, whatever it is. 
Um, maybe I could get my leg five inches higher yesterday than I can today. Um, but where am I at right now? And what's, and what's healthy for that, for me right now? Like, what can I give today? And that's sometimes that's 20%, you know, that's okay. Um, as long as you're giving all of that 20. And so that's what I've come to terms with. It's less of this um, impossible bar that's that somehow in my mental state of mind <laughs> and that we never really reach. And it's more of like, okay, well, where am I at today? And it's maybe here. Right. That's enough. That's okay. Like, and it's forgiveness. It's like one of the hardest things for me to do to myself. I forgive my friends. I forgive other people all the time. I give them such a, a long fuse. But for myself, it's, um, you know, I say one thing, one insensitive thing by accident and I'm beating myself up. Like, I can't believe I said that or, um, and not even on purpose a lot of the time, or like you mess up that pirouette or you didn't do a good job on stage or you forgot an appointment and you messed it up and like, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. we're not very forgiving with ourselves. And so I, it's not that I think that the way that the world should go is that everybody should just not care because that's not making the world a better place either. I just believe that there's some um, medium, which we don't like to talk about, uh, lukewarm medium <laughs> uh, gray air. space in the middle. It's a gray area. And um, it's hard to exist in the gray. It's so much easier to just go like balls to the walls or and then crash land. And well, it's so much harder to do a paced way of living. But kind of one of my one of my other questions for you is would you have felt that it would have somewhat been easier for you to just like stay on that bike and continue with city ballet yes absolutely my the last thing I wrote on my pro list for staying or leaving with city ballet was having the perfect excuse not to live my life fight my Mm -hmm. resistance or face my fears and that was what I wrote my resignation letter the very next day because for me it was like oh I, I have this um, ability to not to relax is very difficult job. It's just it's planned. It's scheduled. It's um, it's predictable. We know we're going to have the nutcracker into the winter into the spring. Like I know what my year will look like um, there. I've worked very hard at the job for a while. So it's I know my place in that world to some degree, even though it can always change. Mm-hmm. I realized that the, the harder path was to take that. Um, what's the word that predictable it's still not comfortable but comfortable because I've done it long enough 12 years is a long time to do the same thing yeah um to take that off the table and to to say what kind of an artist am I without this and what would I actually do with my life what would I who would I reach out to and say I want to make work on you or Mm -hmm. like what job would I apply for if I weren't um taken if all my time wasn't taken by this other thing that I know I can do. It means that it, you've got to jump off this ledge and it means that, you know, your wings might not be strong enough or for me, it's like old enough. Are they old enough um, to fly? But I, um, I take so much comfort and I can't say this enough in, in knowing if you know who you are and if that's what, if you live your life in a way that's not about what you do and what you accomplish and like how your name is going to be in lights and famous and whatever. If you know who you are and who you want to be in the world with whoever you meet in your day, you're liberated, you're free. It's, it's like taking, um, it's like taking your lens off of this unattainable perfectionistic view. Um, I'm on the red carpet. I'm doing, you know, Chanel sponsors me and all this, you know, whatever you can dream it up. 
um, is taking your lens off that for a second and putting it on the inside and saying, am I an honest person? Am I, do I, do I live my day in a way that feels genuine and real? Can I look people in the eye and, and, and stand up in my skin? Mm-hmm. Um, do I, do I take a moment to like do something for someone else every day? Um, things like that. And once you get, you come to terms with the things that matter to you and the kind of person that you want to be, I think that that's such a liberation because then you can do, you don't need other people to validate you. You don't have to have a following on Instagram. You don't have to um, have a specific kind of job uh, that, you know, I, I don't, I know that the, the likelihood of someone remembering me after I die is slim. And then, okay, let's say they do, but then a couple generations after that, are they going to remember? Right. And does it matter? Right. I'd rather touch the people that are in my life now and yeah. um, and live the, the most honest and true version of me, own my mistakes, own my decisions, make choices, like real black, real not black and white, real um, uh, deliberate and clear choices. And, um, and that's it. That's to me, that's freedom. And that's what I, I love to write. So I've been writing a book for those of you listening. Stay tuned. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. And um, I, yeah, I, I'm figuring it out as I go, which is terrifying, but I've been sharing my journey and hoping that it it resonates with other people too. That's the only reason why I share anything on Instagram is it's like, I'm going through this terrible thing. Here's how I'm getting through it. Hope it helps someone else. Yeah. Even if it's just one person. It's, that's it. That's worth it. Yeah. I uh, run one uh, one of the programs that I run is uh, my, an ambassadorship program. And the whole point of it is actually not to have these dancers, you know, around giving advice and tips or whatever. It's actually just to share their experience because I think that above any type of tips or advice, even as myself, as a dietitian, mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. important thing, and I've learned this even after having my, my son, who's now four and a half, mm-hmm. is to model behavior and, um, to share your experience and how you're going through something. So seeing your story and, and everything you're doing, I, I mean, is resonating with the dance world. And like you said, shifting it for the better. So thank you. Thank you. No, it's been, it's, it's a joy. Yeah. So Lauren, my last question for you, it's a bit of a loaded question, but I asked okay. everyone this, can you define what it means to be the healthy dancer? I think, you think to be a healthy dancer, I think to be a healthy dancer, you have to know who you are on the inside and express that. Yeah. And that's what dancing is. And it's really not about the tonics and the pirouettes or anything like that. It's great. Like, if you can do it, wonderful. Um, but I think a healthy dancer is one that's in tune with something that's deeper on the inside and shares it. Um, yeah. So I would say a clear channel from inside to outside because it's expression and it's art. Yeah. Oh. Beautiful. Yeah. Really, you've given us such incredible insight. <laughs> Thank you. 